Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. So last week, I I famously spoke about um, the meal that I made that, that caused me such nasal distress. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's the way to put that. Um, and because I had leftover ingredients, I decided to make the same thing this week also today before recording, the strangest thing happened because I always thought that it was the paprika and the um, and the uh, cumin seed that, that makes my head go crazy. But I started getting just the worst runny nose, like well before I even put those ingredients in. And so I don't even know what's up anymore because, I mean, is it a psychological thing? Was my body anticipating the paprika and getting miserably allergic beforehand or is it is it another ingredient i don't even know is it the specific knife that i used to cut the vegetables i'm not i i don't know anymore i'm so lost whenever i'm working with an ingredient like raw chicken i don't actually know how cautious i'm supposed to be with mm-hmm. raw chicken so i find myself when i'm handling it i feel like an idiot because i'm like seasoning it that I'm washing my hands and where I'm taking it out of the package and I'm washing my hands and I'm seasoning it and I'm washing my hands and I'm putting it in the pan and I'm washing my hands. I just feel like there's no way I need to wash my hands this much. It's just chicken, right? But, <laughs> you know, I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Tell you what, how about next time I'll cut one ingredient out of the recipe and we'll just kind of see how it goes. And then for you, next time you cook with raw chicken, just don't wash your hands. And then we can kind of compare experiences. Right. What if I fly over to your house Mm -hmm. and we take, I prepare you a meal with all of those ingredients plus raw chicken and (laughs) we both eat it together. That's the only way we can really zoom in on all this. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a word for that kind of thing, but uh, that does seem like the appropriate way for playwright to end. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's uh and then we wake up and it all took place in the Bob Newhart show. <laughs> right, well um let's get to some video games. So I'll be going first today. Um I don't have a fully formed pitch, but I have a challenge to us. So ah. it's a little bit more open-ended and let's see if we can turn it into anything. Um so one of the things that I always dislike in video games is like hurting animals like hurting sheep or yeah. all the mini games where you're trying to kind of like try to get on the outside of a group of animals to try to like get them to go where you want them to go it inevitably feels like ai that's no better than like the old one of the old pac-man ghosts or something yeah. or a bunch of them yeah and uh i just i just never really enjoy that how do we make that fun <laughs> oh god <laughs> how do we make that fun I think for me, it would be the first thing we could do is start layering some mechanics onto it. So mm-hmm. I like in Minecraft the sensation, the sensation, the experience of, uh, say, taking out wheat or grass and like attracting animals to what I'm holding. So potentially there's, you know, for the strays, there's kind of a mechanic to lure them back with some object of desire. Okay, so kind of an alternating push and pull mechanics then. Yeah, I, or, man, I, if we were going full sci-fi on it, I think it would be really interesting to be able to have, say, electrical fences or barriers or something that you could kind of cast out in front of you. So it's a little bit of almost a tiny, many little test your 
grenade throw sort of game where you're sort of always throwing up barriers in front of you and you're able to create these barriers and therefore shape a maze and a path to corral the animals into. I guess I should uh, I should start off by kind of getting some of the things out there that I don't like and we'll see what we can do with them. See if we can turn this around in any way. So one of the things that I don't like is often the control scheme. So you'd get this in like the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess or, you know, other games where you are on horseback or on, or I guess playing as an animal or something. And you're kind of, it's, it's hard to kind of maneuver in that 3D space in a way that feels kind of predictable. Like I think the best version of this that I've played is, um, is the mini game in Donkey Kong 64 because that has kind of like a top down view. And I feel like that makes it easier to conceptualize, but just the, just the, the feeling of moving around in this type of space where you're always, you know, your regular walking speed isn't quite fast enough to get to where you want to be. And then you get like a dash that sends you too far and you overshoot it. And the sheep are going in the opposite direction. They start breaking out into groups. Like it feels very hard to position yourself. And that's one of the things that bugs me the most. I agree. There's something about the way that those things are implemented in games that almost like highlight for you what is bad in an otherwise good game. Mm-hmm. I feel like, did did we have any of this in Breath of the Wild? Did we have any animal herding that we had to do at any point? I do know that we had some version of sort of punting uh, sheep, I think it was, in Mario Odyssey. In Breath of the Wild, there wasn't animal herding to my memory but there was um kind of like wrangling wild horses which kind of has a similar like you've got to kind of corner them or you got to kind yeah. of like get them in an area where you can make the attack and they don't have like an escape route necessarily right it, it ultimately is like i think maybe why you enjoyed it in donkey kong is it's a moment that kind of calls for an overhead view because it's a, about mm-hmm. managing a position around an object yeah. and like behind the back third person cameras are generally not good at managing that exact thing. I also think it might be kind of satisfying to have like very, very large groups and have it be kind of a low consequence for getting it wrong. Um, like I always find it very satisfying whenever there's like I don't know, 200 physics objects and you just kind of drop something in the middle and watch them all react to it. And I just think like herding around that many, you know, animals or people or whatever it is in this scenario uh, could have kind of like a satisfying feeling like playing with a bowl of jello or something like that. That would be cool. Like you're trying to herd a a, a wasp of bees or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, or like putting a magnet in the middle of like a, a plate full of like metallic scraps or something you ever done that where yeah and they 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 could stand up and end or they all like go towards a thing yeah but kind of mass controlling things i think that's the appeal and that's like the the core of what makes like herding exercises interesting yeah it's i think one of the reasons why it's often so uninteresting or bad is because you the player in a lot of these games aren't necessarily given any crowd control non I, I should be very specific in this non-tactical crowd control options uh you know 
you get like a gas grenade or something, but they won't let you, you know, very quickly throw down, like you said, maybe an invisible magnet tether that just like draws a bunch of animals closer. If you could like, if you had to like go and set up a, almost like a minefield or something in advance and like the whole game was about like planning out <laughs> or the whole section was about, okay, they're going to go this way. I want them to go here. So I'm going to put up some fences. I'm going to put up some barriers, almost like if you did a Fortnite level of frantic building to hoard hmm. a group of animals. You're kind of like building a mouse maze while they're running it. Right, right. And so when one like if one gets away, you kind of have the ability to very quickly build up a barrier around just that thing, isolate it and either contain it for a period of time or once it is contained within, say, four walls or something, build a tunnel to the rest of the group, knock down one of the walls and that thing find its way back to the, the herd. I see. So in a... Like a touchscreen environment, this could work really well as if you're kind of drawing walls all the time because that right. lets you react quickly and it kind of has that same kind of innate appeal of those those games that used to be popular where you could like draw a line and then somebody would like snowboard on it or something. It's kind of, Yeah, it's kind of, um, what was I going to say, a Kirby's Epic Yarn or something like that? Uh, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. That's Kirby the one. and the Rainbow <laughs> Curse. There it is. Uh, perfect. So yeah, the especially the ability to have a touchscreen or a stylus and say, okay, go this way, go this way. But then also, I love that idea of I could throw something that is the equivalent of you know maybe feels mechanically like throwing a grenade, but anything is sort of like warped to it. So it's almost like one of those crazy. What is that Xbox game that? It has, it's just a ton of sort of silly mechanics. So you skateboard around a world uh, or you kind of surf power lines around or sunset overdrive. Like, it's kind of got a sunset oh, okay. overdrive, yeah. a, you know, sort of mechanical aesthetic to it. Okay. I'm also trying to think of like, what are interesting crowd control dynamics? I, I, I don't necessarily want to be like a, like a God type of scenario. Like I don't want to be like non-present because right. then like you are kind of, losing like the core of what like what makes a hurting game a hurting section maybe if you could control can kind of like nudge things in a direction based on projectiles another thing that bothers me about hurting in video games is that it's always difficult to kind of like mm, to get things to stop you know if you're behind something they're always moving away from you and so if they're approaching an obstacle then it's a the challenge of getting around it and then they're redirected into a direction you don't want them to go. And it always feels like you're just kind of like, it's like when you get off balance on your bike and you're just kind of like wobbling back and forth and it's not right until like you can fully correct yourself. Right. You, you don't ever feel quote in control of the situation. That's interesting. I wonder if there's anything to, if there was a motion control component, you played a character, maybe you can switch between like four characters like four cowboys uh each on their horses kind of on the opposite oh. ends of a herd and you swap between them and then based on like how much you're moving your motion controllers is like how scared the animals are of you and so if you want them to divert quickly then you you know you move to the leftmost cowboy and then you start moving a lot and he makes a lot of commotion and then the the sheep all go the other way or if you just want them to kind of like slowly you know, start to angle in a different direction so you still have control and then you move very slowly and, you know, you try not to spook anything. You know, speaking of some control ways to make this uh, or to solve this hurting problem, I would 
tap the well of something that Nintendo kind of mastered back in the day, Z-targeting. Mm-hmm. Z-targeting is almost always implemented in video games as a lock-on to enemy mechanic, but I think it would be interesting to have a sort of lock-on to the central point of a group okay. as, as a mechanic. And if you could kind of lock on to the center of the sheep or whatever, you know, whatever the herding mechanic is, uh, or pack of animals is, then you could kind of do that, what I think is legitimately fun, sort of strafe jumping around the entire herd back and yeah. forth, almost like you're doing a, it almost, you almost become a steering wheel at that point. Yeah. It would have to get creative once the group starts to kind of like wander off in different directions, but I think it's possible. We've spent enough time there. Let's close that down, come up with a name. Interesting I think because we are trying to kind of like strip back some of the more cumbersome elements. This makes sense to me. Let's see if you like it. Automatic for the sheeple. Kind of like the <laughs> REM album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm for it. I, I was going to do, is there uh, something dreams of electric sheep or something like that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the uh, automatic for the sheeple is perfect. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's go over to what you're bringing us today. I also have a concise pitch that is about something that I probably has been considered, but I want to talk through it with you. Uh, I would like to do a physical card-based fighting game where you have cards that are punches, kicks, uh, maybe the variants of high and low on each of those, blocks, throws, jumps. You essentially get hands of five cards at a time, and... You play out your cards, you then your opponent, you then your opponent, you then your opponent, and you get that same rock, paper, scissors of, you know, throws, beat, what, blocks, but blocks, beat, punches, and punches, beat, throw, you know, that sort of mechanic going on. But what does a card game that is like Hearthstone feel like if a round lasts more like five minutes than 45 minutes? Okay, very cool. Well, we'll start the clock there and see where we take it. Yeah, so I would love for this to be like on a um, on like a drop mix board, and so you can have a little representation of what's happening on screen. But this uh, this idea of kind of turning a fighting game into like a turn based uh, type of mechanic is really interesting. I would really like it if if like every round you were playing like three cards or something, and then one of them was always face down. So obviously the board can read it, but the oh. player can only really like react to two of them. And so you kind of have to like card count or you kind of have to like have some sort of an understanding of like what would be an appropriate strategy because there would be like combos. And so you'd say, okay, with those two cards out there, the follow up to this combo could be this and that would be devastating. So I got a block for this attack or maybe he's psyching me out and he's just getting a third hit, you know? Yeah, that's cool. When you start talking about that sort of thing, it gets me in the mindset of... Wouldn't it be cool to apply almost like a fighting game character sort of system on top of this where you are picking your fighting game character going in and we know that that fighting game character has a certain set of combos he or she can perform. And Mm -hmm. so if you happen to get, you know, you might want to hold on to cards in your hand because if you're able to get, you know, punch, punch, kick, throw as a, that's one of your character's special combos and playing them in a row is worth like 2x the damage or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty much any attack that you can land does damage to your opponent. But if you can pull off a combo and then all three, well, I guess 
if the final hit goes unblocked or something, because it's really easy to block the previous two because you can see them and react to them. I don't know. I'm well, not potentially, if you don't quite I figure mean, it out. It could be that you have to draw a blocking card. Okay. Or maybe throughout the course of a round, you can start with, you start with a different hand or maybe different characters start with different hands. Ones, some are more defensive, some are more <laughs> grappling, almost that sort of Mortal Kombat 11 mm-hmm. style uh, setup. You know, you're saying, oh, I'm going to go into this with a mostly blocking deck because I have a feeling my opponent is a thrower. Uh, and so it you kind of get to equal parts reading the opponent as you are reading the opponent's deck, which is a little bit more what a fighting game is about. I feel like in the one-on-one mm-hmm. matches, you're paying attention. You play psychological games with your opponent just as much as you like know the potential moveset of their character. Okay. Hmm. Let's see. So I, I want to make this really simple and really readable really accessible because that's one of the things I love about drop mix is that, you know, you can explain the premise and people can start playing in a minute. And even if you don't really know anything about music, you can still read the cards. Like it's very simple to understand. There's like the three power levels of each card. And then there's the color of each card. Yeah. Basically that's all you need to know. And so, you know, a system like that, where you're not necessarily having to juggle like that much information, but it just kind of like interacts with other cards in interesting ways, or there are things you can set up to try to to try to lead to interesting effects. Uh, I, I, I want to keep the strategies kind of more like metagame strategies rather than like relying on very complicated card configurations like right. Hearthstone would have. Right, right, exactly. Like you want... I, I totally agree. You don't want someone, although talk, talk to anybody who sells microtransactions, maybe you do. You don't want like an endlessly crazy deck. Like throughout a fighting game match, a lot of the same moves are being thrown 10, 20 times, but it's happening at such a pace that, you know, the whole thing is over within 10 minutes. And I feel like one of the barriers I have with playing some uh, you know, I used to play Magic the Gathering. I don't anymore. I don't even play Hearthstone. Uh, even though I don't dislike card games, they just often take a time commitment and a level of sort of rote, I guess, knowledge about what the potential move set is or the potential set of characters and classes and abilities are that mm-hmm. make it too hard to do this with. So like the same way that a quote button masher could you know, beginners luck their way through a fighting game match in a fighting game. I, I'm trying to figure out how to like get that experience into a, a card game that maybe feels a right. little bit more like war um, than Hearthstone. Maybe every attack is both offensive and defensive where it can defend against an attack of the same type, but it's, vulnerable because you know i feel like if you have limited cards that you're playing in each hand then having like purely defensive cards might serve as a disadvantage so maybe it's broken up different colors like you know red for punch yellow for kick blue for for grapple and then if you play the same color card as somebody else in the same sequence of the three that you're playing in your in each round then it cancels the other one out and maybe there's even like power levels to each card. And so a a three power punch can 
you know, still damage them if they've thrown a one power punch, but if it's oh. the other way around, then you are taking damage and, and, you know, knowing when to play the, the powerful cards, the rarer ones that don't come up in the shuffle that often, or knowing when to just kind of like take a hit or I don't know if there's other defensive options, kind of like, uh, like the white cards and drop mix that kind of give you, um, and like bonus options that aren't provided by the rest of the cards. Yeah. I, it would even be interesting to me to see, like, obviously these are first guess rules, but what if you had a deck that was something like 60 cards every quote round or so, you know, at least 15 cards are going to be played like that sort of pace of like me go, you go, me go, you go, me go, you go should feel like it's happening at a, the pace of a fight and less so the the pace of a plotting strategy game hmm. uh, where you're kind of looking at man. But I love this concept of the deck has a punch with the power of three power of two and power of one, all its potential like punch options within a deck. And you know that because a character could have a, a potential pool of uh, stamina or something. And, and that can be imagined. It doesn't actually have to be a mechanic, but like mm -hmm. you can only throw so many super powerful punches in a fight before you're too tired to do so. So, you know, you're throwing you, your deck only has like two level three punches in it. So, um, not to, uh, not to push against the idea, but I'm just kind of curious, um, what is the, uh, I guess, what is the appeal of it going very quickly as opposed to going slow? Because that feels more kind of analogous to the gameplay experience of a video game. And if we're translating right. this into like a card game, like what are we, I guess, what are we gaining from, from doing that? <laughs> Maybe war is a bad, bad reference here, but I think to this day, I still really enjoy playing a game of Uno. Yeah. And I I think something that can be read and understood and reacted to at the speed of a game of Uno, probably not a six-player game of Uno, maybe more like a three-player game of Uno, feels like the correct cadence for this sort of thing. So, like, if you do have strong color cards that... Are, you know, yellow is punch, blue is block, that sort of thing. Then seeing a card within a punch or, you know, fist or foot icon, you immediately know what it is and you know, oh, I've got a block card. I'm going to block it. Now, if you play a block, you get a free second card that you can play. So I'm going to block it, then I'm going to kick. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that that playing a block kind of rewards you with something, almost like stealing another player's card in certain games. Uh, so there, there are advantages to playing defensively other than just kind of like putting off defeat, which is what it feels like sometimes when defensive measures aren't really balanced in interesting ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, so, uh, we, you know, I just got done, I guess a couple weeks ago playing Sekiro and that is a game that has very interesting defensive options because all of your defenses can be really turned against your enemies. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time, so I don't necessarily want to open a whole other can of worms, but uh, I, I think that there are interesting ways to make defense feel more active and more vital than just kind of like throwing your hands over your head and absorbing only like one-tenth of the possible damage like it is in a lot of fighting games. Yeah, I think that if the whole thing manages to capture the feeling of uh, going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I, I hit you, you hit me with the two caveats of being able to say break off combos and 
interrupt said combos and do combos of your own, then it will have successfully captured the feeling of a fighting game, uh, especially with the graphical and, and fictional wrapper mm-hmm. more than maybe some mainstream card games are doing. If, if Listeners, if you know of this, please tell us. And if it doesn't exist, I'm a designer. We will kickstart this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I will spend the next 20 episodes of this show to tossing out <laughs> ideas for this. So please let it exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that's all the time that we have. Let's come up with a name for it. And if this is something that you're kickstarting, we better be happy with what name we come up with here. I know. No kidding. Uh, I feel like anything that has like battle in it is so already in the card vernacular. There's a uh, there's Mortal Card Bat, which isn't great. <laughs> no, we can't kickstart with that. We'll get sued. Um <laughs> Mortal Card Bat is pretty good though. Uh oh. Um this is this is a real term, right? Fight card. Fight card? What does that mean? I think I think a fight card is like what you say you say who's on the fight card and it's like this person and this person versus this person and this person. So it is oh, okay. literally like a very quick summary of the two opponents that are going up against each okay. other. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> My other suggestion was going to be something like fight deck or something like that, but neither, neither is great. Oh man. Cause you could like deck somebody in real life. That's a fighting term. So I feel like. <laughs> like there's something there fight deck also sounds a little bit like flight deck which sounds like a different a fighting game on an aircraft carrier sounds like a different Uh pitch from us uh fight deck are we we like fight deck better you could do like deck your friends (laughs) (laughs) get decked um oh there's something called fight deck which is a modern magic the gathering deck it seems like it's a term i'm gonna say fight deck Okay. And we'll see we'll see if it's anything. Sounds good. Kind of puts me in the mind of those little tech deck skateboards I used to play with back uh, when you were, uh, you were you were kicking Ollies with your fingers? Yeah, back when my fingers were cooler than I was. <laughs> Radical. <laughs> uh let's go to the community now and see what all of you have to say. And this comes from Matthew A. Taylor, who says, Long time listener, third time writing in, hopefully third time getting through also. I believe that's true. I love your show. It's inspired me and my friends to have these conversations ourselves. That's very cool. <laughs> if there's these conversations happening, just go ahead and write everything in. We'd love to. <laughs> yeah, please document these. More of these. Yeah, right. Uh, when listening to episode 99's community pitch, Feud Truck, I was hoping you two would have gotten to a place I was imagining with the game, but it never happened. Uh oh. <laughs> That's the way it goes sometimes. We've, we've let them down. Uh, so let me pitch, let me pitch the listeners something very similar, but with a slight twist. I like this. We're uh, revisiting old grounds and kind of putting it back on the table with a different twist. Let's see what different direction it goes in. Matthew says, I want to see a crazy taxi-styled game, but instead of cabs, you are food trucks. Openish world, variety of spots to stop and dish food out. Green circled spots are easy and quick. Red circled spots are going to take longer. And each character will have their own unique food truck with special abilities. I'm already kind of dreading coming up with another name because <laughs> I feel like yeah. food truck. We food truck early. was so good. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, we're opening it back up and starting the clock there. So I'm going to need some guidance from you because I don't have any mental context or model for Crazy Taxi. I know it's a beloved oh, game man. franchise, but... 
I've never myself uh, played a crazy taxi. Oh, it feels like the kind of thing you'd be into. Yes. Well, um, crazy taxi, you play as a taxi driver in like some sort of a, I think a version of San Francisco or something like that. Uh, basically you, you drive around the city and there's certain customers, certain pedestrians that indicate that they're willing to pay you a certain amount of money. And the entire time you have like a, like a clock that's counting down and there are ways to earn some extra time for the timer, but it's always kind of like marching towards zero. And so basically you have what, like five minutes or something to make as much money as possible by picking up the customers and they have little visual indicators of how much money they're willing to pay you, which usually means that, um, you know, if it's, if it's a red customer, they're going to pay a lot. And so it either means that they're going a long way and it's uh-huh. going to take more of your precious time, or it's very demanding with the, um, with the like time that you have to deliver them. Because if they take too long, they have their own individual timers. They'll just hop out of the car and they'll be like, I'll just walk from here. Got it. Okay. So, and I, I was watching YouTube as you mm-hmm. kind of described this to me. And you should listen to some of the offspring in the background just to kind of put you in the mind for it. Oh, as well. yeah. I don't have audio going, but I'm, I was literally watching it as you described it. And so, okay. So in Matthew's pitch, there is there are spots to stop and dish out food, but it takes more time. So you're, you're essentially how long you stop is the equivalent of identifying how much a passenger is willing to pay or how far away a stop is. Well... I I think so. The interesting thing about a food truck as opposed to a taxi is that it serves multiple people at once. Right. And so kind of like when we were talking about food truck, one of the more interesting aspects I think was the kind of crowd management, which is uh, since we were kind of like pitching that one as like a twisted metal type of game. um, This one's a very different style, but has kind of a similar conceit to try to kind of like think about crowd management. And so I think you're more kind of like there are kind of spots that are more that are kind of better for selling because there's more people at those locations and maybe there's rich people working in the you know the buildings next door or something maybe the crowds move throughout the day as you know early in the day you're going to catch a lot of business people at their jobs and later in the day maybe a lot of people hit the beach or something it would be interesting to have some kind of mechanic here where, Matthew, you're pulling up to one of these spots and there's like kind of a food, like time to profit graph, little calculation that you're essentially doing of how long or how many people you're serving and how much money you're making. And that isn't necessarily a one for one, right? It sort of tops out and slows down. You're like, okay, well we've kind of maxed out the uh, the money making potential of a particular spot and now it's time to move on to another spot what if <laughs> what if the type of food that you're selling is determined by like you can park pretty much anywhere and get some customers of course you have to kind of think about crowd management but you also have to refill your food which is something that we kind of touched on last time but maybe mm-hmm. you have just basically like a like a big vacuum or a big grinder on the front of your car. And you just have to like, if you need hamburgers, you got to drive through like a cow patch. And if you need like salads, you need to drive through like any sort of vegetation. And it just like sucks it all into the car and chops it up and turns it into the food. And so you're (laughs) incentivized to be moving around, 
just to pick up different types of food. And the more types of food that you have to sell, you know, the wider group of customers you have, or, or the more you can charge or something like that. And, you know, people have different requests for food. And so having a, a variety is, is going to be beneficial. Oh, okay. So that way you could actually tie like your fuel, quote unquote, of multiple ingredients together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just say generically uh, what you need to make a hamburger or, or one of these sandwiches is protein and vegetables, right? Yeah. So now you could be driving through with your car on just like through somebody's garden, right? And that's how you like pick up vegetable resources. Maybe you drive and you hit some roadkill and that's how you can get some protein mm-hmm. along with cows and like the stuff that you're talking about. If you're on the beach, then you can just drive through like a flock of seagulls and then maybe try to like swerve into like a palm tree or something like that. And it just sucks it all in. What would be amazing about this is this would kind of fulfill a desire that I've been having, which is let me hit those sheep in Forza Horizon, please. Uh, yeah, they are yeah. very intelligent sheep. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they're so, they, they predict which way I'm headed just immediately. <laughs> so I love the idea of God, can you imagine a crazy taxi that had like that level of like quality and fidelity to the whole thing? <laughs> so one of the, the big challenge that I wanted to avoid here is that uh, I didn't want to use the same solution that we had last time is that if you have a food truck and we're talking about crowd management, other than the crowds around you being satisfied, we had this idea last time that if you park somewhere, it attracts more people to that spot because they see that a food truck is open. Kind of right. like if you hear the bells of an ice cream truck, people go running. And so you'd think that it's kind of self-perpetuating at that point that if you just sit there and plant yourself, then you can just like make money because that spot becomes more valuable. And we mitigated that last time by having a car combat type of right. system where the other cars would be watching out for you. And if you are planted and selling, then you're leaving yourself vulnerable to being attacked. And like, that's an interesting um, perspective, but you know, I didn't want to just rehash the same thing, obviously. So if we can give them a reason to move around, then that's going to be, um, that's going to solve this problem. This is kind of what I was trying to address with that graph problem. So there's, (laughs) this is a hot tip for anybody that loves microwave popcorn uh, generally the way to tell if you're terrible and you burn popcorn a lot, this is a, a pro tip here. If it's starting to take more than one to two seconds between every single kernel pop, your popcorn is done and it needs to come out of the microwave. I feel like there would have to be some like cadence of people so that like mm. the crowd is big at first, but you kind of deplete the crowd in the same way that you have like oh, the, the people per second is starting to go down, then, you know, better to just leave the remaining people hungry and move on to the next spot as soon as you can. And along with that, I, I would really love, because it seems to me like as I'm watching this Crazy Taxi long play, if you can believe that, it's Crazy Taxi long mm-hmm. play. It seems like some of the m- most like unaction-filled moments are the moments where somebody is driving around and it's taking a little bit longer for them to find a fare than maybe they suspected it might. Having a mini map with, say, little icons on it that say, hey, people uptown want salads right now and people over here want burgers right now. And so you can, as you're collecting those ingredients, go, okay, well, I've got the ingredients to serve people burgers. I'm going to go 
serve this crowd right here. And so you're kind of you're also trying to min max what locations you're stopping at based on the the onboard ingredients you have. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um keeping people mobile and you know, maybe you don't even have to stop. Maybe it's just driving through the crowd. You can just kind of toss them food at full speed. So <laughs> yeah. people really never need to, it could be like a speed type of thing where it's like, you don't want to slow down. You just want to keep going. Yeah. And I, I think in terms of like special abilities, you're open to vehicles. Like maybe one has like leaf mulcher or something on the front and it can gather more salad ingredients faster out of like uh, vegetable patches and that sort of thing. And you have like, like you said, the meat grinder is a cool one. And maybe there's even just one that like doesn't particularly gather any fast, but it's got more windows for you to throw food out of. <laughs> maybe we take like a paper boy element and you actually have to like aim the food that you're throwing. And so maybe that's like oh. the right stick. It turns it into like a, uh, into like a twin stick shooter in a way. And so as you're driving past, like you can slow down and get more precise aim. Or if you're really good, then you can just like kind of fly as you go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then you can kind of like toss, 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 toss. And that way, if the amount of things that you're able to quote shoot are equivalent to the onboard ammo you have based on the ingredients you collected. Uh, you can weigh overstock on particular ingredients and go, okay, I'm just going to get to this crowd and like unleash hamburgers onto the masses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, we are out of time and we have to come up with a new name. I feel like we have an opportunity to do an Uber or Lyft joke out of this one. Chuber or... Chuber's pretty... Wow, God, that was quick. Mm -hmm. Well, I I don't know. I don't know if it really makes sense unless you're already in the mind of <laughs> food burr. Um, yeah, maybe not. Meals on wheels is another term that's used. Yes, I like where that's going. <laughs> is is this anything licensed to serve? Because it's kind of like a driver's license. It, I mean, I think it more kind of puts me in the mind of like James Bond license to kill. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, fast food. I guess also makes sense. <laughs> oh, there's the the fast and the foodrious. Oh, let's see. That's not really good. There has to be something. Uh, it is inspired by Crazy Taxi, so maybe there's just something that's directly Crunchy Taxi or something. Like <laughs> Cuisine USA. Oh, Cuisine USA is pretty good. I feel like that's a reference for like older, <laughs> older gamers who remember Cruising USA. Um, it's, it's a bit of an obscure one at this point. <laughs> Matthew didn't supply us with one, Matthew, even though you told us you've been thinking about this. Horrible. <laughs> I like Cuisine USA. I really do. All right. Well, that was Matthew A. Taylor with Cuisine USA. It leaves us open to sequels as well. You know, Cuisine San Francisco and Cuisine 2049, <laughs> I think. Perfect. No, those are San Francisco Rush. Now I'm mixing up all of my, like, stand-up arcade racing games from pizza restaurants. <laughs> It's been a while. Yeah, Cuisine the World, that one definitely has a level on Mars, I believe. <clears throat> if you would like to supply us with a pitch of your own, whether it is based on a previous idea that we've that we've done before, we're always happy to take a second pass at things. Or if you have just a completely original and, and weird idea that you've been meaning to, to get out there, if there's things you've been discussing with your friends, then uh, please do write in. That is playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Hey, H, 
I have a question. Mm-hmm. What does a nosy pepper do? Uh, oh, nosy pepper. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I feel like it. Are we talking chili peppers or like the pepper condiment? Yeah, we're talking. We'll, we'll say a chili pepper. Sure. What does a nosy chili pepper okay. do? Okay. Um, it it uh, tries to find all of your spicy secrets. <laughs> oh, very very close. Uh, <laughs> it gets jalapeno business. Oh, that's not bad. I like that. Okay. <laughs> special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. It's very good. And go give it a listen. And while you're in a music listening mood, why don't you check out episode 200? That is probably, what, a, a few days old, a week old by the time you're hearing this. But episode 200 of Sound of Play, you, uh, Mr. H here, and Leon tear it up, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of people from Kane and Rinse. And I found out uh, Jacob and I both share affections for the soundtrack of Florence, uh, mm, which is yeah. very nice through that episode. And uh, what else? Is there anything else? Oh, yes. there's. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in Plug City over here. Uh, also, thank you to the Kane and Rinse Network. We already talked about Sound of Play, but there's Kane and Rinse, the video game review podcast, and of course, the Sausage Factory, where great interviews with game developers so go check out the other stuff on the network all right and to take us out of the show today i'm going to uh deliver a miniature pitch what i want is a game where you play as a skeleton doing daily tasks and you have to keep yourself from falling apart hey mm -hmm. what's a dessert's favorite actor oh boy Uh, all right a dessert's favorite actor would be I feel like you're going to get it. <laughs> I feel like you're going to get it. I'm pretty good at reverse engineering these types of jokes, but I, I say that. And then, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, cake, cake Gyllenhaal. Oh, that, I mean, that is basically the joke, so we can give you that. <laughs> but the answer written here is Robert Brownie Jr. That's eh, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.